Uh, good morning once again. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at All Nations. Um, happy Mother's Day, uh, mothers. Uh, you guys are the true uh, MVPs of our family, and you guys sacrifice so much, and we just wanted to appreciate you guys, uh, and, and thank you for all that you do for our families. Um, if this is your first Sunday, we're in the middle of a, a mini-series, a two-part series on this idea of missional living, uh, the idea that God has called us to live a life on missions, uh, and, and to have in our consciousness and this awareness that we aren't here just to just coast or get by, but there's a distinct purpose that God has given to us, and that is to share the love of Christ with others, uh, both in word and deed. And so uh, God is asking us to partake in this missionary lifestyle. And so the question is, what is God's main way or, the, or his main vehicle in carrying out this mission? And the answer to that question is the church. Uh, God's plan to, to save uh, the lost and to uh, redeem sinners is to use uh, the body of Christ, us here, uh, to gather but then to scatter to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We are the main vehicle for that. And so for us here at ANCC, we're trying to be faithful to this mission uh, both locally and globally. And so we have two local partners here. Um, they're literally our neighbors. Uh, one is in Sunland uh, with Chapel of the Hills. Uh, they're a church that serves food and shares the gospel with the homeless in this area. And there's so many uh, that are on the streets uh, in Sunland. And the second partner is uh, Hope Gardens, which is a woman's, uh, woman and children's shelter. Uh, these uh, women and children are on the streets or they're fleeing from an abusive partner and uh, they seek refuge in Silmar. And so uh, we're partnering with them. And then we also have three missionaries that we're supporting uh, globally. Uh, we have one in India, uh, Northeast Asia, and one in Indonesia. Uh, and, and so we're supporting them financially, but also with our prayers. And uh, of course, as you guys know, we're sending a short-term team to Kyrgyzstan, which is a closed Muslim nation uh, this summer, uh, to love and, and to share uh, Christ's love with the students there. Uh, so even with these amazing partnerships and uh, opportunities to share the gospel uh, through uh, the preaching and also through acts of mercy, I don't think it can be helped to feel as if missions is still a program. It's still something that, that we can check off and, and feel relieved that we've done something. Um, I, I don't think, I, I think that's a common sentiment that many of us have, that it's just a program. And so instead of missional living, what we see in many churches, and I think uh, we see it here as well, is just missional programming. Um, and so what many of us do, we just wait until the next mercy project or the next announcement or, or opportunity for us to share uh, the love of Christ with others uh, in both word and deed. And, and so it's really not missional living, it's missional programming. And, and programs aren't bad. Uh, we actually do need programs because they're like training wheels, right? They're training wheels uh, to help us ride our bikes. But eventually what needs to happen in the Christian life is as we understand and grow uh, uh, deeper in the gospel that those training wheels come off and now it's about us living out that mission regardless of church programs. Now, of course, as a church, we are uh, ambitious and zealous too create these opportunities for us to get our hands dirty and to go out and share the gospel. But uh, eventually, I think what God's intent 
for every single one of us who call ourselves Christians is to live a missional life. And here's how I want to define it. Someone living a missional life lives his his or her life with every moment with the consciousness of grace received in Christ and with a sense of urgency to share that grace with those God has placed in our lives. Now, I know that's a very long-winded definition. Let me read it one more time. Someone living a missional life lives his or her life with every moment with the consciousness of, of the grace received in Christ and with a sense of urgency to share the, that grace with those God has placed in our lives. In, in other words, we are breathing in and out grace. Uh, grace is not just something that we, we just uh, compartmentalize to our Sundays or to our small groups, but a grace just is everything about who we are. And so it can't be helped that we want to, we've got to breathe it in, but we also got to breathe it out. Uh, we've got to share it with others. So where has God placed us in our lives to actually share this grace? Where has God placed you in your life for you to breathe out this grace that God has given to us? And what I want to convince us today is that the greatest platform that God has given to us to live out missional lives is in and through our work, is in and through our vocations, what we do from nine to five. The greatest platform that God has given us to live a missional life is actually at work. It's through our calling, our vocation. So I want us to give us, I want, I want to give us three exhortations or encouragements regarding our work. Three exhortations. The first one is put work in its proper place. Put work in its proper place. Secondly, know God's purpose in our work. And the last exhortation is pursue excellence in our work, right? So put it in its proper place, know God's purpose in and through it, and pursue excellence. So first, put work in its proper place. I notice two pervasive attitudes towards work. The first is this, the idea that my work is who I am. And Pastor Jay Song shared about this idea a couple of weeks ago. My work is who I am. It gives me my sense of worth and significance. And a behavior that goes along with this attitude is overwork. We overwork. We look to work to fulfill our every single need, to feel worthy, to have an identity, to have status. And so we overwork. And oftentimes, because work is the center of our lives, we neglect other vocations or other callings that God has given to us, like our families, loving our spouses, maybe our relationship with this body, this church. And so the first uh, damaging or uh, the first negative attitude that we can have towards work is that it is who I am. Everything about me is wrapped up in my career. The second attitude, which is just as harmful, is is the idea that work is a curse. It is something that we should avoid at all costs. It is just a means to an end. And now this is also a damaging attitude. It's not what God intended. And so some behaviors associated with this attitude is that we work for the weekend. Uh, We work for that brief moment where we don't have to work, that vacation that we so desire. 
And so we're dismissive about our work. We're just getting by. We don't see any value in it. And that is why some of us, especially students, we want to prolong our time at school so we don't have to go into the working life. I know many of us are there. See, I believe these two attitudes towards work is inconsistent with what God's original intent was in giving us work. See, the first attitude actually replaces God with work, making it an idol. Instead of work being an act of worship, we worship work. In the second, we replace leisure with God. We replace leisure with God, making non-work an idol. And so we fail to understand God's purpose in our work. So some of us place work in the center of our lives and others place work in our periphery, trying to avoid it all, at all costs. So what is the proper place uh, for work in our lives? Well, how do we put it in its proper place? We have to go back to the very beginning of what God's intent was for Adam and Eve. Uh, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seeds that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that, I have, uh, that has a breath of life, I have given every green plant for food and it was every plant for food and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So after God worked in creation, creating all things, he commissions Adam and Eve to carry out his work. And the word that we see in this passage is the idea of subdue, subdue, which means that God's, God in his creation, it wasn't fully completed. It wasn't complete. There was still yet work to be done. And so man and woman, man and woman through their labor were to cultivate and develop God's creation. And so in Genesis 2:15 God says once again to work it and keep it. And in verse 31 this is the key and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. Work is included in that statement. Work is included. Everything that God created was good and work was good. Now we have to notice that work is pre-fall, and so it is not a curse. It is actually something good that God has blessed us with. But of course, work was cursed through sin. And so in Genesis 3, God tells Adam that it's going to be hard. Work is going to be hard. It's not going to come easy. And so work is not a curse, but work is cursed. Right? There's frustration. There are challenges when it comes to our work. So work is good because it is pre-fall. But the second thing that we need to notice is that work is a reflection, and it is a derivative of God's work. See, what God is doing here, he's wanting to give Adam and Eve, uh, Adam and Eve his own ability to create, creatively work in creation. So they were created in God's image, and work is a reflection of that image that God has placed within us, 
Right? Do, you, you can partake in, in what I'm able to do. So you go ahead and work. So many of you guys know I have a, a son, and he's four years old. His name is Deacon. Um, that's his real name. Uh, and, and he's not an easy one, but God has used him in my life to teach me so much about who God is as a father. And, and so when I'm, when I'm just roaming around the house doing different things, whether I'm cooking, uh, putting an uh, Ikea furniture together, or uh, doing whatever I'm doing, my son comes along, and he, he wants to do what I do. He wants to help out in, in any which way he can. And it's, it's, a, it's a very amazing feeling to have your son come and want to participate and partake in, in what I'm doing. Even though he's actually not able to fully do uh, what I'm doing, he wants to just be a part of it. He just wants to sit next to me. He wants to put the pegs in those little holes. And, and he just wants to do this. And for me as a father, I, it just brings me so much joy when he wants to do that. Um, and I believe this is what God intended for Adam and Eve. That, that was his intent in giving them work. Uh, it, it was meant for them to be able to relate with God, to have intimacy with God, to experience who God is through their work. And so we are God's vice regents. We are his representatives. We are reflecting the very image of God when we work. When we work. And so think about it. I think the progression and, and how we mature in our understanding of God, I think it deepens when we actually work. We've got to think about that. If we were created in God's image and we were created to uh, partake in this ability to work, when we actually start working, it shouldn't, we shouldn't like, try to avoid it or think of it as a curse, but rather we should see it as, wow, God, this is, this is what it means to, to, to be like you and to actually work. And so the reason why I believe uh, we don't experience God uh, in our work is because we have it in its wrong place. We have it in the wrong category. When it should be good, when it should be, we're reflecting God's image. Instead, we have it in this category of, no, avoid it at all costs. It's a curse. So what ca- category do we need to place it in? God, in his goodness, shares his joy in creating and working, and he hardwired us for that same work. It is good, and we should see it that way, and we should work as if that is true as well. And think about it, our own Savior, Jesus Christ, before he started his ministry, what, what, was, what was he doing? He was working with wood. He was a carpenter for 30 years before he started his actual ministry. So the first step in living a missional life at work is to have a proper attitude towards work. It is an honor. It's an amazing privilege because that is who God is. And so that's the first exhortation, put work in his proper place. The second exhortation is, it's, it's work knowing what God's purpose is through our work. So know God's purpose in our work. See, many of our parents came to the States for, for a better life, right? A lot of our parents came here uh, when they were adolescents or in high school or in college uh, to give us a better life and, and for them to uh, experience the American dream. And so for them, the purpose of work was survival 
and to allow their children to have a better future, right? But the uh, attitude and, and the sentiment for us millennials is different. When we look at work, we, we, want, to, we want to make a change. We want to make our mark. Uh, we want to do something that, that, that is significant. It means something. And so we want to change the world. And so we have very, two very different attitudes and approaches uh, to work. And so many of us, we have a romanticized ideal view of work where we look to it to actually fulfill our very purpose. And so it's frustrating. Uh, it's frustrating sitting at a desk when you want to be out there to change the world. And so you move, uh, you, you know, you move from job to job. And, and some, of, some of us, we feel like we're wasting our lives away just doing that work, right? And so we have two very different experiences within our own family. Our parents came to survive and to give us a better life. But us millennials, we want to change the world. We want to do something that, that means something. And so that brings about so much frustration, right? So much frustration. But if you think about it, especially with the millennials, it's a very self-seeking, self-fulfilling approach to work, isn't it? If we're honest with ourselves. Yes, we want to change the world, but I want to be the one to do that. And even in that, that's very selfish and self-centered. So a doctrine that is crucial, this is a very important doctrine uh, for us to understand and have a, a very uh, biblical view of work, and that is a doctrine of providence. Providence. Uh, providence speaks uh, about divine superintend- superintendence or care by which creatures are preserved. Now, uh, that's a fancy definition, but another way to say it is God is involved and he sustains this world. He, he's not a distant God. He doesn't just he doesn't re- re- remove himself from creation, but actually he's actively involved in sustaining and caring and providing for creation. And that includes every one of us. How does he do this? How does God, how do we see God's providence? What is, what is, what is, what is our way of observing tangibly God's providence in our lives? Um, if you want to know more about the doctrine of vocation or the theology of work, I want to commend you Martin Luther. If you just Google Martin Luther and vocation, you will learn so much. This is what he says. What else is all our work to God, whether in the field, in the garden, in the city, in the house, in war, or in government, but the work of children by which he wants to give his gifts, him being God, in the fields, at home, and everywhere else? These are the masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and to do all things. Now, what Martin Luther is saying is, in our work, when we're working, it is God, in, it is God behind a mask, caring for, providing for, sustaining creation. And this is, this is fascinating. This, this should change the way we our perspective of our work. He sustains creation through our vocation. And so God remains behind the scenes to to accomplish his work of providence. Martin Luther, again, uh, in Matthew 6, 26, right, when Jesus is pointing out the birds of the air um, and then how God feeds them, and he he points uh, points out the lilies of the field and how God clothes them. Right? This is what Martin, Martin, Martin Luther says about the Lord's Prayer. Right? When, he, when, he, when he says, give us this day our daily bread, 
He asks this question, how does God do this? How does God clothe us? How does God feed, feed us? Isn't it through the farmer, the baker? How about the truck drivers? How about the person that checks us out at Ralph's or Vaughn's? Give us this day our daily bread. How does God do this if it isn't through work of other people? God works through our work. The purpose of our work is for him to show his grace, his common grace to all of humanity. So there is dignity and worth in all our work because God cares for us and he sustains creation through it. And just to make sure, I'm not saying all work has dignity and value. Of course, human traffickers aren't in that category. Drug dealers aren't in that category. But all good work is God's work to care for us. And so I just want to share a little bit about my story, uh, of my, my career, my vocation. It went through several different changes in the past three years. Um, while doing ministry in SoCal for about six years, our family decided to move up to Seattle to join a church plant. Uh, and for some reason, God, no matter where we go, God is so gracious to my wife and gives her a job. Just like in an instant, she's able to find job, um, find a job. And there was a period of three or four months where I was jobless in Seattle in a friend's house while my wife was waking up early in the morning to go to work. And my son at that time, uh, my son Deacon was about one and a half years old. Uh, and, and for three to four months, I, I experienced what it meant to be a stay-at-home dad. Uh, it, was, it was one of the most difficult things I've ever experienced. And I don't think we, we appreciate our, our stay-at-home moms and dads. Uh, it's, it's truly a labor of love, and, and uh, it requires so much patience. But in that three or four months, I was... I think I was a little bit depressed. I, I, no one would hire me. I, all, I, all my experience was in ministry, and I was looking for a job in the marketplace. And so I, I had a few interviews here and there, and, and people had this puzzled look, right, when they looked at my resume. And, um, and so as I was a stay-at-home dad, I was trying to escape that life because I thought it was, it was meaningless. I thought it was worthless. But actually, at the near, or halfway through the stay-at-home dad period, I realized this is work. For this season, this is my calling. Uh, to, to care for my son, and to make sure the house is clean, and to make sure dinner is prepared for my wife <laughs> when she comes home, that is work. And that is how God is caring for my wife, by me, uh, leaving me at home right, to experience being a stay-at-home dad. It was extremely challenging. I questioned God's purpose in my life. and Because I, I, I didn't have the proper perspective. I didn't have an understanding of, doc, of the doctrine of providence for that season. But eventually, God graced me with a job. And I, I still don't know why they hired me. I really don't. I remember still sitting around the team that was interviewing me, looking at my res resume, and literally they were confused. They're like, and one of them asked, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, it was a, a, a legal company, a legal document company. Uh, the term was e-discovery, and lawyers know this term. Uh, but it was a tech company that worked with legal documents. And I, I was interviewing for a project coordinator uh, position, and 
for those that know me, and P. Mike knows this about me, my wife kind of knows this about me, I don't know how to even use my own phone, <laughs> let alone my computer. I, I don't know how to use it to its max. Uh, and, but I had to figure out a way to get this job because I was like, I need to start providing for my family. I got, you know, stay-at-home dad was a good experience, but I, know, I knew that uh, with my wife's income, we couldn't survive. So I needed this job. So I just did whatever it took for me to get this job, and I, and, I, and I got the job, and I worked there for about a year and a half, sitting behind a computer for 40 to 50 hours, uh, talking to lawyers uh, of how to use our software. It was, again, one of the most challenging experiences, but uh, another kind of wave of just disillusionment came. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I thought I was called to ministry. And so I failed to understand the significance and the value of my work. But my job was a project coordinator. And so I was assisting lawyers how to use the software to help them, right? Help them with their legal work. And I was working with project managers and, and, and being able to see my role and how I fit into this organization and the flow, right? To provide good service, to make sure that, that, uh, that I uh, provide awesome customer service to the lawyers I'm talking to. That was my responsibility. And God was working in and through me to accomplish uh, the goals of the company. And there's value and worth in that. And something funny that happened was people knew I was a pastor, so they'll come to me with their problems, even though they weren't Christians. I'm like, wow, God, I, I now understand why you have me here. Now, I'm sharing my experience because I know that it's, it's not easy for a lot of us who are working. It's not easy for us to have this doctrine of God's providence and, and to see it and uh, to see work in the way that God sees it. He is working his purpose in and through your work. We have to be able to see that and we have to be able to value that. And that should influence and inform the way that we work. Robert Banks, in his book, Faith Goes to Work, creates six categories of work that helps connect God's work and our, our work. So I'm not going to, I'm going to post this actually on our Facebook so you guys can read this article. It's, it's amazing. Uh, it really brings and sheds light on the significance of our work. But he has this idea of redemptive work, right? Those that are included in this are evangelists, pastors, counselors, peacemakers. But he also includes writers, artists, producers, Right? That they're doing this work to, to redeem negative aspects of culture. Right? The second thing is creative work. This is God's fashioning of the physical and human world. Right? So it talks about sculptors, actors, painters. And through this, God is working out this specific creative work. Providential work. Now, there's a whole list of jobs that can fill, uh, come under this category. Um, bureaucrats public utility workers, public policymakers, shopkeepers, career counselors, providential work, where God's provision for and sustaining of humans and creation. Justice work, God's maintenance of justice, judges, lawyers, paralegals, government regulators, so on and so forth, right? Maintaining of justice. Compassionate work, God's involvement in comforting, healing, guiding, and shepherding. Doctors, nurses, paramedics, psychologists, therapists. Revelatory work. God's work to enlighten with truth. Preachers, scientists, editors, journalists, scholars, and writers. 
are all involved in this work. See, God's providence should anchor our work in God's purpose. But it also should influence how we work and what kind of work we pursue. And so students, uh, I want to encourage us to think of this. What work are you trying to pursue? What careers are you trying to pursue? And hopefully you have the idea of God's providence when you're actually making that decision. So we got to put work in its proper place. we got to see God's purpose through our work. And lastly, lastly, to pursue work with excellence. Colossians 3.23, so what Paul says, Whatever you do, work heartily as, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Martin Luther, once again, reflecting on Paul's encouragement, says the Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Tim Keller kind of uses this illustration or this way of uh, communicating what Martin Luther is saying. There is a Christian way of landing a plane, and that is to land it well. <laughs> See, I think, there, I think there's a tendency to have a dualistic approach to the Christian life, right? True Christian work is spiritual. It's for the pastor. It's missionaries. Uh, the work of, uh, uh, that we see being accomplished in the church. And then all of the work, is, it falls into the secular field. Uh, this is a, a distinction or a dichotomy that's not in, in Scripture. God has not created this distinction. We have. That's not how God intended for us to view and perceive this world. Your work is sacred. And God wants us to pursue excellence in it. So to be a Christian in the fashion world is to make good clothes with quality material. For those in the medical field, to treat your patients with the utmost care. For those in HR, to understand the policies well to assist fellow coworkers. To the Christian lawyer, to be fair, to not find ways to bend truths or the rules. For contractors, to treat your clients well and to run your team smoothly. To be a Christian homemaker is to care for our children and to manage the household well. To be a Christian programmer is to solve problems, analyze, program well for your client or for your company. For a Christian student is to study diligently, honestly, and with integrity. To be a student is your calling. It is your vocation. See, I believe that when Christians pursue excellence in our work, we gain access to places and are granted opportunities to shed the light of Christ. I, I firmly believe that. When we pursue excellence in what God has given us, the gifts that he has given us, God will open up doors. We won't have to actually seek it out. People will come to us sometimes. And maybe, comp- or in, maybe companies or, or institutions will allow you to do things that not everyone will be able to do. So we are to pursue our work with excellence. 
See, the most regular encounters and opportunities we have to be a witness, winsome witness of the gospel is our workplace. There are 168 hours in a week. Maybe three to five hours of, of, of 168 we spend at church. We spend in small groups doing something here. 30%, about 30% of that is spent with our coworkers, with our managers, with our supervisors. Think about that. The greatest platform that God has given us to live out our missional lives isn't the church, necessarily. Three to five hours, no. There's 40 to 50 to 60 hours a week that we spend. And the way that we work, the way in which we work, can make a difference. It will give us opportunities to share the love of Christ. See, I believe over time, if we pursue excellence in our work, God will give us opportunities to share the gospel and to possibly invite, invite people out to our church. But think, think about it. If you are not working, if you're constantly on your phone or taking 30-minute bathroom breaks, trying to avoid work, and, and that's your reputation at work, and you are wanting to share the love of Christ, if you want to invite them out to church, I believe that's a poor witness. The greatest platform for our missional lives is in our vocations and our work. And I hope that we can approach our work with that attitude. See, the gospel frees us from the demands that the law requires, God's law requires, because Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled them on our behalf. He secures our identity and our worth in God. So we don't have to prove our we don't have to prove anything in our work. We don't have to prove ourselves to God. We don't have to prove ourselves to ourselves. Right? We don't have to prove ourselves because God or Red or Jesus Christ has already secured our eternal worth and our identity in him. Also in the gospel we find true rest, true rest. Not counterfeit rest, not just leisure, but true rest. Because he's taken our burdens and he's given us his grace. And so when we do labor and work, we could do it freely for his glory and to love our neighbors. Church, can we do that this week? Can we have that attitude? And can we put work in its proper place and love our fellow brothers and sisters in this world by doing our work with excellence? That's my encouragement to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Um, that you gave us work, not to torture us, uh, not, to, not for us to pay, pay you back, but Lord, for us to be able to experience you and being created in, in your image. God, there are many of us here probably frustrated with work, confused about our careers. Maybe we're in between careers or in transition. Maybe there are some of us here who are a homemaker, and a stay-at-home mom for this season, and it's hard. God, I pray that you will help us, Lord, to see work in the proper way. God, that you are working through our work to care and sustain this world. Jesus, we ask that you will give us the strength, give us the eyes to see, not for work not just to be a means to an end, 
but for us to love others and to share uh, the light of Christ with others. So Lord, um, we ask that you help us um, to pursue our work with excellence. Not for our own namesake, because we already know our names are written in the book of life. But Lord, for your glory and for the good of our neighbors that don't know who you are. Give us an eternal perspective, a grace consciousness in our work, in our vocations, in our careers, this week and forevermore. We need your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray.